Hello everyone, it's August 14th, 2018. This week it's all about going small. Small rockets, small engines for small rockets, even possible self-regulation for small satellites. It would seem that small is the next big thing. And liftoff. And we have the third of the tower. Welcome to episode 171 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. And I'm sick. And you're sick. You're a sick Ben. But I appreciate you coming to do the show nonetheless. You have real dedication. You've had a chest cold and now you're mm. and now it's just a, a lot of phlegm. Yeah, yeah. I mean gross stuff, but also just like general body aches, you know. It's yeah. Just... The aches are the worst part. Actually I think having a cold, the sore throat is the worst part. That's what I hate, is that is that mm. first initial sore throat. Mm-hmm. That's the worst part of it for me. Yeah. But after that, it's like I can deal with it, but I hate having a sore throat. Yeah. So you'll try and power through this, uh, and I'll be powering through it along with you. So you want to just move on to this week in spaceflight history? Yes, please. Uh, we have no winners, so apparently your clue was a really good one. Yeah, or a really bad one. Take your pick. I think it was good. Now that I know the answer, I don't see why no one got this. Yeah, I mean, it's a little obscure, but we'll get into it. So the clue from last week was imagine the tiniest, whitest arrow. Uh, this week in spaceflight history is uh, the 19th of August, 1960. It was the launch of Korobol Sputnik 2. And so this was the first successful launch and recovery of animals in orbit. So obviously everybody thinks about Laika as being the first animal in space, but um, I really like Belka and Strelka better because they uh, went to orbit and came back successfully, whereas Laika um, unfortunately died in orbit. Um, So Belka and Strelka are just like Laika. They came from this pool of you know, rescued street dogs, basically. And uh, I I just adore the names Belka and Strelka. So Belka means either squirrel or Wikipedia also says that it means whitey, you know, like a diminutive form of, of white. So David, you did a little bit of looking and you couldn't find that in any dictionary. Right? <laughs> well, I didn't look at a dictionary. I looked at Google Translate. But um, I mean, Belka okay. is listed as the word for squirrel. So it definitely means squirrel, but it might be a diminutive yeah. form of the word for white. And I don't see why not. Because, I mean, that's how a lot of Russian words are. For example, the word vodka is a diminutive of the word for water, which is, you know, vada, yeah. and then you get vodka. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, that's uh, that's squirrel. And then strelka means little arrow. Um, so, a, a white, t- a, you know, a white arrow, a little, little white arrow. Little arrow. I don't know. Sorry, I got because it wasn't very good. Um, also on board uh, was a gray rabbit, forty-two mice, two rats, a bunch of flies, and some plants. And there were no fatalities, even though um, one of the dogs ended up having a seizure on orbit, and they ended up. Uh, landing the mission a day early so that you know the seizure basically went untreated in space and they landed and and the dog was still alive um so this was the third uh flight of of the vostok capsule um it was called krabbel sputnik 2 uh not krabbel sputnik 3 because uh, i believe it's because they don't name them until they you know are actually on orbit um, so they don't increment the, the numbers until they get to orbit. But anyway, uh, the, the second flight, unfortunately, um, broke up 30 seconds after launch. Um, so, you know, it's still very low in the atmosphere and they, they tried to, um, use the abort procedure and actually land on parachutes, but they were so low that they weren't able to deploy the parachutes properly. So the animals on board, unfortunately, died on impact, right? They avoided the explosion and then and then died on impact. So this was kind of the the second attempt at doing that, and they, and they were very successful. And one of the 
really cool things. <laughs> I really love this. Well, there, there are two things that I really like about this. Uh, the first one is while they're in orbit, one of their objectives was to do um, some basic rendezvous tasks. And their target, they decided to use uh, Project Echo, which was um, a US uh, satellite that was uh, basically a big balloon in space. Uh, it was, you know, reflective sphere that was inflated. And so they decided to go rendezvous with that thing. And uh, they got close enough that you could see it out the window. And we know that that it was seen out the window because both of the dogs started barking at it um, when they saw it. And I, I, I think that's so wonderful. Like, I'm sure that they were just barking because it was something unusual, but like in my head, they're barking because they see a ball and they want to go play. Yeah. You know, like. Well, it's also very interesting because they're in space and it's like, I mean, well, they're just in this environment that's very strange, very unusual. There's weird stuff like all around them, but they see a ball and they're like, they have to bark at it. Yeah. I mean, like, why not bark at everything? But they yeah. pick that. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think that's just. I think that's lovely. Um, and then my my second favorite thing about this mission is that once Belka and Strelka landed, they you know were kind of lauded as space heroes. And what's really cool is that Strelka ended up getting pregnant, and she gave birth to I think four puppies. Um, and one of them was actually given to JFK, and then that dog ended up having a litter with one of the Kennedys' dogs. And they called them the Pupniks, that grand puppy litter uh, of Strelka were called the Pupniks. And so um, because of that, Strelka's uh, lineage continues, right? We actually know where these dogs are and we know which dogs they are. And I don't know. I, I think it's so lovely that like, you know, there's a little bit of like international appreciation, but also, you know, dogs and puppies and cute names i just i don't know i just love it so if i wanted to get a dog that is a descendant of this dog could i do that i suppose i could look that up i think you have to know somebody yeah i don't think that they're breeding them specifically which kind of sucks because like we you know you can buy beer that has yeast that was flown on a suborbital mission so i, th- I think that'd be really cool but anyway uh yeah i i I think you'd be hard pressed to, to actually get one of these dogs. If you do, though, let me know because I want one too. I'm really surprised that we haven't done this one before. I thought, I thought for sure when I looked at my list and it wasn't crossed out, I thought for sure that it was a mistake because I thought for sure we had done this one before. We definitely have not done it because I would remember, yeah. So that because I didn't know anything about the fact that Kennedy had one of the dogs. I mean, like all this is all new to me. I I didn't know about any of this. I thought that you know mm. there was just I oh, thought there was okay. just a couple of Russian dogs that went up and came back down and that was the end of it. I didn't know that we had their descendants here in America. Well, I'm glad to have been able to introduce you because now think I got to really go cool. get a pupnik. Right. Um, I've had uh, creative projects, both named uh, multiple creative projects. One was named after uh, Belka and the other one's named after Strelka. So like I, I, these two are close to my heart. I love them. That was interesting. Uh, so what is our clue for next week? All right. Next week in 1949, the clue is partial pressure, but complete recovery. I'm not sure exactly which event this is referring to, but I feel like I have an idea of what it's about, but you might be misdirecting <laughs> me. So uh, we'll see. <laughs> uh, I hope people are going to get this one. This one, this is a totally gettable clue. I know. Yeah, it seems pretty straightforward. All right. No, no, la- no language games here. Well, if you think you know what this is in reference to, and again, that is next week in 1949, partial pressure, but complete recovery. Uh, if you think you know what that's about, give us a tweet with the hashtag this week SF and good luck. Firefly is making real progress. So when was the last time we talked about Firefly? It's been a while. I mean, probably 
you know, when they when they shut down. That was probably it, yeah. If anyone is not aware, they have made a very good recovery. And in fact, it, it almost seems miraculous to me because apparently they had to shut down because they had an investor pull out. But there was also some pretty big legal troubles that they had as well. Right. So it's not as though they have their money back and now they're just going to come back into operation. They've actually had to change all of their hardware. Well, and it's it's interesting because the patents had to do with the aerospike, right? Yeah. And when we were talking to them, like they were really excited about the aerospike, but both times we interviewed them, it really sounded like there were a lot of people kind of expecting the aerospike to not be their, their final engine. Like it sounded like they, you know, were really excited about the idea, but just not a hundred percent certain it was going to hmm. It was going to be their thing. So I, I have a feeling that it wasn't that hard to roll back. You know, I think they probably were getting ready to do that. I didn't get that impression, but maybe that's just because I wanted the aerospike to work because it's just such a cool thing. And I'm, I may be applying that, you know, in hindsight, but that's that was my impression. Yeah. So now I suppose you might say they're just more of a, they have a much more standard engine and it's a LOX kerosene engine that they have for uh, their first and second stages. So they are... They seem to be ahead of where they left off, and that's that's the cool part. What's also cool is that they now have a launch vehicle that is capable of more than their, I guess it was still called the Alpha rocket, right, or the or the Alpha launch vehicle. Mm-hmm. The old Alpha, the one that had the aerospikes, that was capable of 200 kilograms to lower orbit. This new one is capable of 1,000, so that's a pretty big upgrade, and it kind of makes me wonder what they did. How is it that they have gone through all of this, and now they're coming out even stronger than where they left off? Like, what changed? Or is it just because, you know, the aerospike technology was just that difficult to work with? And so they kind of had to start even smaller with, you know, these smaller engines. Because I do recall some of the details that they had talked about. And there are some very difficult heat exchange problems with aerospikes. And I guess you don't have that with a traditional engine. So they've renamed the engines. They are now called Reaver engines. And that's for the first stage. And I'm wondering now, because it just occurred to me that, I mean, that's a strange name. But then this is called the Firefly. That is the name of the company, Firefly. And Reavers were, you know, a set of characters within the show called Firefly. So maybe there's a connection there, or is that just a coincidence? I don't yeah, know. I, no, there's no way that's a coincidence. <laughs> but why the Reavers? I mean, it's a it's a bunch of nerds. But they were the bad guys. So why would you want to call your engines Reavers? That's like I don't know, man. They could have called it the River Engine, right? Because that's a character within Firefly. Or I mean, just pick anything. But why why Reaver? I mean, it's cool though that they're a bunch of nerds. So yeah, these new upgraded Reaver engines, these more standard LOX kerosene engines are capable of 40,000 pounds of thrust each. The old engines, we have to look that up. What were the old engines called? Sam in the chat's got it. FRE1 and FRE2. Right. And if I recall correctly, the FRE2, those were the first stage engines and the FRE1 was actually the upper stage, right? It was actually the reverse of, of what you would think. Right. Yeah. So, okay. The FRE2 engines provided a total of 125,000 pounds of thrust. I don't remember how many engines there were, but they were kind of smaller and they were clustered around the aerospike. So it's a total of 125,000 pounds of thrust for those old engines. These ones are 40,000 pounds of thrust each, and there's four of them. So what is that? That's uh, 160,000 pounds. The thing that really surprises me is just how far along they have come. So they are right now doing the initial testing on those first stage engines, and they still have to test the turbo pump, and that should be happening later on in the year. But the upper stage engine, that is called Lightning, by the way. So that's the Lightning engine. I don't see the connection with Firefly, the television show, when you call it Lightning, but whatever. Um, That is capable of 15,000 pounds of thrust, and that is actually fully tested and ready to go. So they already have an upper stage, and they should begin the testing of that full second 
second stage fairly shortly, but they still have more work to go on that first stage. But still, they'll be testing by the end of the year. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had something built by next year, 2019. So two things. First off, I think the uh I think lightning is a reference to how some people call fireflies lightning bugs. And then second, Sam in the chat has a really good point, is that the uh, the FRE engines were pressure-fed, and Raver and presumably lightning as well are pump-fed. So like... You know, we're we're seeing very huge differences. Like, you know, um, the FRE engines were methalox, and now we're looking at at RP1 engines. I mean, it, these are totally, totally different engines. Yeah, um, completely different. There, I I would be surprised if there was any heritage at all. Right. Um, maybe in some of the manufacturing processes, but like these seem like. They really started from scratch. I did forget about the fact that the old engines were Methalox, which also Mm -hmm. has its own issues. And I guess you don't get as much, with the Methalox engines, you don't get as much thrust, but you do get a higher ISP. The specific impulse on these engines are 295 for the first stage and 322 for the upper stage. So whatever those numbers were for Mm -hmm. Methalox, I'm sure they were a little bit higher than that. But yeah, completely new engine. So I tend to think that it's almost as if they have been through all this before and they just have the expertise. You know, you have people who know what they're doing. They were close to building an actual rocket in the first place. And this is kind of like, okay, you know, we've been here before. We know what we're doing. So it's not a full reboot. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a company that is somewhat seasoned and they kind of hit the ground running. Because otherwise, I don't see how they did it so well. That's a lot of progress in a fairly short amount of time. But maybe it's also attributed to improvements in things like modeling. Because as was pointed out in the chat, these are pump-fed tap-off cycle engines. So if they're not pressure-fed, then that means you have a fairly substantial turbo pump. And I thought that those things take like about five to 10 years to develop. Yeah, it's got to be 3D printing, right? Like, <laughs> I just get that sense that things have changed. Like even in just the past five years, like companies are making turbo pump engines like left and right. So let's move on to the heavy lift version, I guess you could say, which is uh, the beta launch vehicle. This is meant to be their uh, their version of the Falcon Heavy, although it doesn't lift anywhere near as much. The first launch vehicle, the Alpha, capable of 1,000 kilograms to low Earth orbit, this would be capable of 4,000. It's similar in that you have three cores and, and then you have the upper stage. So as we've learned with SpaceX, it's probably not as simple as they think, although maybe they now know having learned from SpaceX that you can't just strap three cores to each other and expect to have a heavy lift vehicle. But yeah, so this is where they hope to kind of close the business case because the Alpha launch vehicle, according to the CEO, Tom Markuzik, uh, he said that they expect some pretty stiff competition from China and India. But with this heavier launch version, that is where they're kind of filling a niche that hasn't quite been filled. And so they hope to sort of, you know, like dominate that area. The exact quote from Tom Markuzik is, the beta marks where I think we no doubt dominate the small to medium launch market competing against existing launch vehicles. So the existing launch vehicles that can launch 4,000 kilograms to orbit, what would they be? Um, Sam in the chat saying that's kind of the PSLV uh, regime, which I think is I think is correct. I can't think of anything else that, I mean, maybe, maybe China's got a launcher coming up in that kind of class, but I don't know Chinese launchers that well. According to the CEO, he thinks that that's where, you know, they can dominate. So... That'll be interesting to see. Uh, and they are, they're also expanding their launch sites. So right now, or soon to come, they will be taking over part of the Cape once uh, the Delta II launches in September. If that goes off on time, then that 
being the last flight of the Delta II, they will take over Pad 2W, and they might be expanding to one of three different locations. It's not specified yet. I don't think that they've decided, but they actually want to have a second launch site, possibly from Wobbs or maybe Camden Spaceport, which is in South Georgia, Southeast Georgia. So yeah, that is the progress that Firefly has made, which I think is cool, and I'm kind of glad that they're back. They're doing well. Um, I was really surprised. So now let's move on. Let's translate. Let's move on to Ursa Major, which is a company I've never heard of. Have you ever heard of them? Because I haven't heard of them. Once again, just to prove what I was saying earlier, this is a company that is building rocket engines. And where do they come from? How is this happening so quickly? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, like you said, like I hadn't heard about these guys until uh, this week. So I did a bunch of reading and hopefully we can we can do some justice. But I've got a quote to start us off. This is from their founder and CEO, uh, Joe Lorienti. He says, uh, in the aircraft industry, you don't see Boeing building aircraft engines, and you certainly don't see United Airlines building engines. Much like United Launch Alliance or SpaceX, United Airlines' value proposition is to get something from A to B. We want to enable companies to not have to vertically integrate. So the idea is Ursa Major wants to specialize in uh, small rocket engines. And of course, we've seen, you know, people like Bell Aerospace and, you know, all these these huge rocket companies build rockets and specialize in building rockets, but nobody does that for small for, for small ascent vehicles or uh, launch vehicles. So this is just another example, and there's kind of a theme running through, I think, this entire episode, and that's like small launch vehicles, small satellites. It's just a very mini episode. Right. So I guess the question I have is, what are the details that we know about the engines? For example, are these pressure-fed engines, or are they turbopump? They're uh, their turbo pump. So um, uh, Hadley is their small one, um, and they actually f- um, did their first test fire uh, back in June uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, at the Cecil Airport. And it is uh, a staged combustion uh, rocket that runs oxygen rich, um, and it's a it's a kerosene rocket. And they're shooting for five thousand pounds of force at sea level. And the idea is that it's going to have integrated fluid controls and electronic subsystems and basically you you buy a Hadley and all you have to do is tell it where you want to go and it's going to take care of you. So cool. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And Hadley is actually in production right now. They say they're they're cranking them out. And so people are already buying these. Um, Generation Orbit and ABL Space Systems have both publicly stated uh, that they're going to be buying uh, a Hadley, well, Hadley's from Ursa Major for their launch vehicles. And that's, it's kind of weird because most you know, startup space companies see their engines as their product, right? Um, SpaceX and, and Blue Origin in particular, and, but also, you know, Firefly and Rocket Lab, like they're coming into the game saying, here's our product. It's our engine. Oh yeah. By the way, there's something on top of the engine that you can connect your spacecraft to. I think that Blue Origin is a little bit different because they manufacture the engine and they are willing to sell that to a third party, whereas SpaceX is not. Right. I think that's, that's, I think that's a, a real indication of how much they value their ability to build rocket engines, right? Right, yeah. It's just such a cool concept to me that you could have a company that, you know, just builds these engines and then they sell them to whoever wants them because, hey, who wants to be bothered with designing an engine from scratch? Very much like the quote that you just said about Boeing. Uh, they don't build engines. I, I guess that goes, what, to like General Electric, Pratt & Whitney, I think, builds mm-hmm. jet engines. Yep. Rolls-Royce builds jet engines, a couple other ones. But yeah, they don't build their own engines. Uh, they have other things to do. Uh, so 
a very similar situation here, and that's very cool. And so you have these engines for smaller launch vehicles, and then you'd have a company like Blue Origin for the very large ones. I would be interested to see the first private company, because we know that ULA is doing this, but the first private company that, that actually buys a Blue Origin engine and says, hey, we have a rocket here, and we're just going to use, you know, a BE-4, and we're just going to stick it on the rocket and see what happens, because they have other things to do rather than just building an engine. Yeah, so so I came up with, with three pros why this is important. So um, using kind of a, a turnkey engine means that, like you, like you just said, you can focus on other systems um, and, and not worry about it. Also, it's an interesting way to move towards launch day, right? If you know that your engines are already proved and your engines have already flown as a small launch vehicle company like that. It's kind of unusual to go to launch day, not really worrying about the engines. And then also exactly like you said, um, you also get a wider selection choice. So like, you know, ULA's aces, like they had what three rockets at a very, you know, a fairly late stage of the game saying, Hey, here are three different engines that we can use. But the flip side of the coin, the the cons to doing this is that if you decide to buy an Ursa Major rocket and all of a sudden Ursa Major is no longer doing so well, you know, if they can't produce the uh, the quantity or if, you know, they, they start going under financially, like your success is totally slaved to somebody else who you have no control over. Um, so Ursa Major really has to do a good job of demonstrating, or at least, you know, putting on this, this vision of, of being very reliable. Uh, and then, then the other con that I, uh, that I came up with actually, um, this one came from NASA spaceflight and their forum, uh, which I'll, I'll include in the links. Um, somebody pointed out that, Hey, if you're looking for funding, like a, as a new space company, it's really important to be able to say, Hey, we can do something that nobody else can do. And a lot of that comes from this is our rocket and look at all the knowledge we have about uh, about rocketry and look at you know our performance stats and you know look how great this is um, which was like the number one thing that firefly space uh, originally said right they're like hey look we're doing an aerospike which nobody else does and look how cool it's going to be and that was a, a major attractant for you know it, it's it also kind of spelled had some uh red flags like hey uh, this is actually really really hard to do and maybe they're going to fail but you know like uh, ultimately like that that is uh, an important thing to end up getting uh funding is being distinct so if you're buying somebody else's engines you're going to have to find that distinction somewhere else so you know what came to mind for me was zero to infinity building blue star which is you know a balloon launched rocket um where that balloon and that weird uh donut and donut hole configuration really is you know can, can be their claim to fame but you know they're already developing their own engine but like somebody like that like would really see a lot of success i think buying engines off of somebody else because they you know they already have all of the flashy public facing hey isn't this cool look how much you want to fund us and then it's okay to be like, hey, and we also have, you know, these engines on order and they're ready to go. You would have to integrate these engines into a very novel type of a spacecraft, mm -hmm. right? Because, I mean, that is what Zero right. to Infinity is. I mean, it's something unlike, it's not like anything I've ever seen before. So, but I guess there wouldn't be any huge barriers there. I mean, they could just simply purchase the engines and then use that particular configuration that is unique to them. And it should right. all work. 
Yeah. So uh, so we talked about Hadley. That's their upper stage engine. They're also building a first stage engine, um, which is supposed to be pretty similar to Hadley, but it's a souped up version. It's called Ripley. It's a 35,000 pounds of thrust at sea level engine, and uh, they are not producing it right now. Uh, they are still in the design phase. So what are the name Ripley? Is, is is that an Aliens reference? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, but I can't think of who, what character Hadley might be. Cool. All right. Well, just uh, one more, you know, new startup company doing something very interesting but small. So let's move on to number three, Rocket Lab. The ones who are, I, I guess, more ahead than anyone here, but uh, still suffering or have suffered some setbacks. But I think that they are now on schedule for launch in November. So that's good. Not only launch in November, but they want to do a second launch uh, after that this year. So three launches for this year, which would be pretty awesome. And I suppose that that's doable because they just had one little problem. Well, not a little one, but I mean, it's it's something that just requires fixing. And then once that's fixed, they are set to go because they have everything else in place. So their first uh, launch attempt for their customer or their first, I, I guess it was their first paying customer, right? Because that's why it was called, you know, it's business time. That was back in April. And then it was scrubbed due to an issue with the motor controller. So they made it a second attempt in June, but this, you know, the, the problem happened again. I guess eventually, begrudgingly, they came to the decision that they just had to actually do some hardware modification because we don't know what the problem was, but it's not fixing itself. So, you know, they've actually had to rework some things. Uh, at this point, they're going to have to completely requalify the vehicle with this new change in the motor controller. So that will take some time, but they should be ready to go by November. So it's uh, maybe, you know, about three mm-hmm. months to go. I had forgotten just how quickly they were making these vehicles, and that's also <laughs> very impressive. So uh, they are cr- Cranking out these electron rockets at a rate of about one per month. And uh, the CEO said that they have them stacked up left, right, and center. So they're kind of running out of room. They should have been launching at this point, and they're not. Mm-hmm. So they they have to find somewhere to put all these things. Rocket Lab like very much lives up to its claim in that it's a very quick-to-manufacture vehicle because they don't have turbo pumps, and that is the hardest part of the entire vehicle. So if you have a battery-powered rocket, so to speak, you can make them at a rate of about one per month for the entire vehicle. And that's crazy. So so let me let me take a step back real quick. Sam in the chat figured out the Hadley reference. The colony in Aliens was called Hadley's Hope. So thank Oh you. man. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, that's pretty good. So every small startup company has their own little science fiction claim to fame here, yeah. huh? Or their own little theme. Yeah, pick pick your franchise. I I wonder if uh if somebody can do a uh, uh a paper on how popular or how niche the chosen uh, references affect funding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it were so, if I had a company, I think I would have to go with The Expanse, right? I don't think anyone's done that yet because that's a fairly new one. Mm-hmm. Maybe Battlestar Galactica. I don't think there's any. Oh, there's so many good names in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that one's prime for picking. Time to do some short and sweet. We got two of them this week. And what's our first one? All right. Self-regulation for small sat security. Uh, AIAA had a small sat conference this week and a graduate student team presented a case for small sat encryption. They argued that with increasing propulsion capabilities, there is a small but non-negligible risk that easily hacked small sats can get into orbits that pose threats to other spacecraft. The team proposes that the industry adopts a no encryption, no fly rule and begins self-regulation immediately 
before an incident happens and governments overregulate. And next up, Stellar Exploration is making thrusters for microsats. So if you haven't heard of this company, their name is Stellar Exploration, and uh, they are currently qualifying a small bipropellant thruster for planetary microsatellite missions. The miniature thrusters will be able to impart a delta V of 2 kilometers per second for a 12-unit CubeSat mission. Uh, the company plans to fly a CubeSat aboard NASA's Psyche Asteroid Exploration Mission in 2022, which will be making a Mars flyby. Uh, this is when the CubeSat will separate and burn its mini thrusters for Mars orbital capture, a maneuver that would be otherwise impossible for such a small spacecraft. So this is to fill in that little gap there, which I think is neat. All right, time to move on to upcoming spaceflight events. We just got one launch and one thing we don't usually talk about, which is an engine test, but why not mention that, right? So the upcoming launch is the launch of a Vega, and that is on August 21st, and that is launching uh, ADM Aeolus. That is an Earth observation satellite built by Airbus Defense and Space for ESA. So this looks to be a weather satellite. Looks like it's going to be making direct observations of wind profiles from space. That should help improve weather forecasting and things of that nature so okay so yeah that's on august 21st and the launch window for that utc is um 2120 utc so that looks to be an instantaneous launch window yeah so. weather satellites i mean it's it's going into a sun synchronous orbit so yeah that's that's uh instantaneous yep and then what about that engine test we have? Yeah, then uh, on August 14th, which is the day that this show comes out at 3.20 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, this is kind of uh, David's uh, time to beat here. So if you listen to this yeah. early, it, it may still uh, still not have happened. Uh, but they're going to be doing a stand test of an RS-25 at Stennis, which is, I mean, it's just such a great rocket engine that uh that yeah, yeah. I, I thought we'd talk about it and then the the day after our next episode on the 15th there is a russian spacewalk and uh, we'll mention it again on next week's show but just a kind of a heads up here uh, that'll be coming up. Alrighty, so those are your upcoming spaceflight events. I will say though, even if the show doesn't go up on time, it's still fun to watch engine tests. So at the very least, we let them know about it. Like, hey, go look up this cool RS-25 engine yeah. test. As they say, that that is the Ferrari of rocket engines, and yeah. it's always fun to watch it go off. Well, in a good way. Yeah, um, it's always fun to watch that thing fire. I would love to just go and be as close as possible to an RS-25 test. I think that would be as interesting as an actual launch, just because I'm in it for the noise mm. and. They are loud, so that'd be fun. All right, so with that said, uh, let's go ahead and deorbit and cue the music, uh, most of which, as you know, is brought to you by Ronald Jenke, so check him out at ronaldjenkins.com. And by the way, I think he has a new music video out uh, debuting some of his upcoming music for the next album, which should be coming up, well, who knows, but hopefully sometime this year. Yeah, check him out, and also check out Tim Dodd, the Everyday Astronaut. Uh, if you liked this episode, please review us on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you enjoyed our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash robotopodcast. Thanks to our $5 and up Patreon supporters in the Ground Control chat room listening to the show live. You can connect with us on Twitter and Reddit at Orbital Podcast. You can send questions and comments to info at theorbitalmechanics.com. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, please visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. Be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. So that is all. So we will see you next week on Orbit. And until then, later. Goodbye, everyone.